0: good morning would you open your bibles to genesis chapter 40 if you got a bible with you we do have some bibles over here if you need one you're welcome to follow along let's pray father god we are just grateful to be back here in your word and together once again and lord i believe that you have a message for each one of us through your word uh, you know our circumstances in each of our lives, Lord, the different things that are going on in this crazy world in which we live, and uh, you know how it's affecting each one of us. It's affecting us all in some ways very similar, but in some ways, Lord, it's, it's having an effect on us maybe in different areas. So Lord, would you please minister to each one of us individually as you will and uh, do a work in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so a couple months ago we were in Genesis chapter 39. Uh, I'm going to give you a reminder because we had taken that break. So some of it is going to be something that maybe you don't remember exactly what was going on. But we were reminded in that last chapter that life comes to us in seasons. That it comes to us in seasons. Some seasons are better and some seasons are bitter. There's both. Joseph seemed to have some of the most extreme swings from the better seasons to the flat out miserable ones. When you look at his life and what he's gone through at this point... You know, a, a young man who was really godly and trying to follow the Lord, boy, he had big swings in life, right? There were some times where it seems like things were just going amazing for him, and then there are some times it got as bad as it could possibly be. I think of the first better season in his life. Remember, he was born into his family as Jacob's favorite son. So his father favored him over all of his half-brothers, and he was given preferential treatment over every one of them. That followed a miserable season. Remember that he had gone out to check on his brothers and they decided they were going to kill him. I mean, I, you know, I have siblings and maybe we thought we would kill each other every once in a while, but I don't think we ever plotted to actually do it. They were going to kill him. Remember they threw him into the pit and then they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. That was a miserable season. Trust me, as his whole life really just came apart at that moment. But then there was a better season, even in the midst of that. Once he was there, he was bought by a powerful and wealthy servant of Pharaoh. Remember, it was Potiphar. And it was there where God blessed Joseph, and he elevated him in Potiphar's eyes. Eventually, Potiphar placed him over everything that was in his house and all of his possessions as an overseer. So, so he was taken into captivity. He was sold into slavery. The next thing you know, the richest, most, most powerful guy besides Pharaoh himself buys him and now all of a sudden he elevates him into this position of leadership as a slave it was unbelievable but then it was followed by another miserable season it didn't stay there you know there was a bad season right after that that's when mrs potiphar decided that she really liked joseph too just in a whole different way (laughs) she started lusting after joseph and she tried to seduce joseph and she tried to basically have her way with him because that's just what she did apparently And when he refused to sleep with her, maintaining his honor before his master and the Lord, Mrs. Potiphar, remember, was so enraged that she accused him of trying to rape her and had him thrown into prison. Now it's an extreme low once again. Once he got thrown into king's prison, that was actually the beginning of another good time in his life, another, not good, but another better season where amazingly, God began to raise him up again in the midst of that terrible circumstance. And it was there that God gave Joseph favor with the prison keeper. And all of a sudden he's looking at him, he's like, everything this kid does is amazing. He's a great leader. I can see God's favor is upon him, his Lord's favor. And he raised him up to a position of leadership where he was kind of the overseer of. the prison. He recognized how talented he was and put him in charge of all the prisoners. Now, you'll notice I purposely did not say good seasons and bad seasons. I said better and bitter. And there's a reason for that. Because whether or not a season is better or bitter does not make it good or bad for us. And we need to understand that. Better seasons may not always be the most beneficial seasons for us in the life in our lives. Better seasons, no matter how much we enjoy them and need them. I'm not a fool, I know. We need those better seasons, don't we? Sometimes in life we need things to go right. Things have gone wrong for so long. We need something to go right. And the Lord knows that too. But better seasons are not automatically the most beneficial for us. Even though we think they are. It makes sense to us. Just like bitter seasons that are often allowed by God are often not good for us. I'm sorry, or actually are for our good. Bitter seasons sometimes are exactly what we need. We would never sign up for it, as I've said many times. We wouldn't sign up for the troubles that we find ourselves in life and the difficulties that we find ourselves in life, just like Joseph. I can't imagine what that kid felt like. One moment he's high, then he's like on the ground, then he's high. It's it's peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, extreme highs, extreme lows. And, I mean, it's hard to live like that, isn't it? It's hard when you can look back at moments where it's like everything was so good and everything was so right and then everything came apart. Why did you let everything come apart, Lord? And we're like, this is so terrible. And how do we pray in those situations? We're like, Lord, please change my circumstance. Deliver me from this evil. Please make this work out. Make everything. And he's like, this bitter season is best for you. You need this. And our flesh resists it because we want easy. We want it to be easy. Man, we were just, I was venting this morning. I'm sorry, Gretchen. Thank you for being my counselor this morning. But just (laughs) venting about how this bitter season that we're in with all the different things, with the virus and employee help and just how you know we see all these shortages coming and everything and we know what that's going to lead to. Grab your toilet paper while you can. I mean, just all these things that are happening, right? And we're like, Lord, from our perspective, it'd be good to have better because we've had bitter for so long. It'd be good to have better. But who's to say what his perspective is saying? Maybe he's saying, bitter is better right now for you. You need this. I'm reading a book right now and I'm so blessed by it. I, I got under this Chuck Smith kick and I, I just haven't been reading. I've been actually reading two or three books while we were off and uh, really good books. And I'm grateful that the Lord used those to minister to me. And I, I want to say this to you guys. If you're not taking time to read Christian literature that can build you up, you are ripping yourself off. Because there's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of things that can tear you down. There's a lot of negative things, disappointments, discouragements. And if you don't take time to allow the Lord to speak something to your heart daily, you're ripping yourself off. You're hurting yourself. Because we all need to have something speak to our heart outside of our own hearts. You know what I mean? Because our hearts will drag us down. Our hearts are going to be overwhelmed at times, and we need something to speak to our hearts. And, and I have been so blessed by this. It's basically an autobiography or a biography on Chuck Smith and his life. Um, and he has a quote in there at the very beginning of the book, and it says, Everything is preparation for something else. So simple. Everything is in preparation for something else. As a Christian, if we, could, if we can grasp that, if we can understand that, it's going to help us through some really difficult things in life. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is out of control. Nothing is by God's surprise. Everything is in preparation for something else. Every circumstance. I think that's very evident in Joseph's life. Over and over again, we see those miser- God used those miserable circumstances, which were no doubt deeply disappointing and troublesome to Joseph at that moment, to accomplish something great both in and through his life. And each time God did something like that, all the non-believers that were watching Joseph knew without a doubt that it was truly the Lord of Joseph who was granting him all of that success because remember in Egypt they worshipped thousands of false gods but they saw something special about Joseph where God was using even horrible circumstances for good at the same time while God was bringing forth good out of those miserable circumstances Joseph was learning to trust God and his promises more and more and it was going to start coming into fruition in his life here as we move on into these chapters and it begins in chapter 40 where we will see this maturing that's taken place in Joseph's life where he's learning not to be so swayed by you know the pendulum of better season bitter season better season bitter season he's not being moved by those things he's remaining steadfast he's remaining resilient I will tell you right now that I believe that we live in a day and age where you better learn to be resilient. You better learn. Because if you're not, you're going to struggle. But our resiliency needs to be based in our faith in Jesus Christ. Our resiliency needs to to be based on the truth of God's word that God says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We better know that verse and we better believe that verse. We better look at the circumstances in which we face, no matter how devastating or troublesome or difficult they are, and be able to say, I know, even though I don't like, I know that God is using this for good. And I trust him, even though I don't understand him nor his ways. I trust him. We have to be resilient. We have to be steadfast. In chapter 40, we begin, it says, After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guards and in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant and they were in custody for some time. Notice that even though Joseph, he was highly regarded by this keeper of prison and he had been placed into a position of authority overseeing all the people within the prison, when they brought in two powerful people from the king's own house, the cupbearer and the chief baker, two people who were actually high in authority within the king's household, the prison keeper says, Joseph, I'm going to assign you to tend to them. You serve them. Even though he was in a position of authority. What's amazing to me is that there's not like a verse 3b where, where Joseph says, are you kidding me? I'm in charge. You put me in charge and you want me to serve these guys? The baker? The cup bearer? Really? Just because, you know, they're someone important to Pharaoh? No, he just did it. He humbled himself. He served. We should have those hearts as well. You shouldn't be surprised by that either, because in life I can tell you, even though this was written you know, hundreds of years ago, it, it still kind of works that same way. If you're in a situation where maybe you're in a position of authority or power and, and you've got some influence over people and maybe your company or whatever it is has raised you up, don't be surprised if you're, if you're, you know, not in a Christian environment, if, if maybe those who are in charge, although they appreciate you, they will tend to favor those who think like them. It's just the way it's going to go. You're going to run into that sometimes. And you're going to have to roll with it, just like Joseph did. You're going to have to roll with it. And you're going to have to trust the Lord, and you're going to say, You know what, God? I get it. They, they agree on so many of these things that I'm not going to agree with or take part in. I'm not going to complain about it. I don't see myself as a victim. I trust you. I trust you. I'll do my best in the circumstance that you have placed me in. And if I need to serve these two boneheads, I will serve these two boneheads as if though I'm serving Christ. Because that's what you've called me to do. And you do it. This was no mistake, though. God was setting everything in place in order for him to move again on Joseph's behalf. Look what he was going to do at this time in verse 5. It says, The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in the custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, it amazes me that even though Joseph was forced to serve these men, he still showed compassion to them. He had empathy for them. He cared about them. He actually cared about them. Do you think they treated him well? Guaranteed they didn't. They saw him as a Hebrew slave, and he was their slave, even in prison. Just think about that. Not only is he thrown in prison, but he's a slave to the other prisoners. I guarantee they didn't treat him well. But Joseph still cared about them. And Joseph still had empathy for their situation. He wanted to know what was wrong with them as he served them. He could see that they were upset. You know, when you find yourself in a miserable situation in life, do you still try to minister to the people God has placed in your life? Do you still try to do it even though you don't like the circumstance? Maybe you don't like the job. Maybe you don't like your boss. Maybe your boss has been the one contributing to your misery. Maybe it's in the home. Maybe you're having friction with your family or what, spouse, whatever it may be. And you've got difficulties going on in life. Are you still trying to minister to them? You're like, no, I don't want to minister. I'm going through something terrible. My life is falling apart. It's all going bad. Are you still trying to minister to other people in the midst of your own misery? Joseph, I think we could rightfully say, was suffering, he was thrown in prison. And yet he was still serving others, even the very people that were making his life miserable at that moment. Do we have that attitude? Or do we walk into situations feeling like we're a victim and we don't have to serve anybody else because we're having our own pity party on all the things that are going wrong in our own life? We don't even see what's going on with the people around us. Maybe even the people that are annoying you the most are the ones who need the most ministry right now. They're troubled, they're frustrated, they're scared. All these things. Or are you so consumed with your own problems that you fail to see your opportunities? We have to keep our eyes open. We have to continue to look around and not just inside our own heart. Because there's people suffering all around us. There's people going through things all around us. We can't be consumed on our own problems. Just look at how he responded when they told him why they were both so sad. In verse 8, it says, We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. That is a bold statement. (laughs) Can you imagine? My wife does that to me all the time, and she will not allow me to interpret her dreams. I promise you this, right? But imagine if somebody at work was like, I had this horrific dream last night, and it's just tormenting me. I didn't get any sleep whatsoever. And you're like, "Don't, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Can you imagine that? And then if you're wrong, the damage you would do to that person, the humiliation you would face for being a false prophet, imagine the risk he's taking at that moment. He says... Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. In other words, I'll answer it for you. I'll go right to the Lord myself. This was very significant, especially because of the culture. R. Kent Hughes explains it this way. First, the ancient Egyptians put great stock in dreams because they believed sleep put them in contact with another world. Second, a pair of dreams, it was thought, indicated a certainty of fulfillment. And third, due to their imprisonment, they did not have access to professional interpreters whose dream books were thought essential to unlocking the symbolism of their dreams. It makes me laugh because (laughs) I have a friend who... (laughs) Some of these guys know this story. (laughs) I was working with a friend and... uh, had a book in the office when i got there and it was an interpreting dreams and it was a mystical book right and and i'm looking through it and i and i told him i said this is garbage man why are you reading this this is garbage it's so stupid and he's like ah blew me off well i got transferred out of his store but i put a little post-it in there about something like this is stupid burn this book or whatever it is you know clint and years later he calls me up and he's laughing he's like I found your post-it. You know, and he went to it. But it just it amazes me that people will, what they will turn to to try and find answers in this life. Even though everybody in that society thought, you have to be a professional dream interpreter, which they had professional dream interpreters that would go around and tell you what your dreams meant. Joseph's like, Don't the interpretations belong to God? Isn't He the one who can rightly tell you what that's about? Take it to Him. Ask Him why you had that dream. There's something more important, though. Do you remember how all this started for Joseph? I talked about the first bad season. Do you remember what made his brothers what drove them to want to kill Joseph Joseph had a dream he had two dreams and remember he was foolish enough as a 16 17 year old kid or whatever it was to go and tell them what he dreamed and his dream was basically all of you guys are going to bow down to me one day all of his older brothers and his parents were like what and it made them hate him That was who knows how many years, 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know how long it passed, but he had had those dreams. And those dreams started the process of him being where he is that day. Here's these two guys, they're having dreams. And he says, don't the interpretations of these dreams belong to God? In other words, if God gave you that dream, he's going to do it. It's going to come to pass. That amazes me because he's had a horrible life since then. God gave him those dreams, and he still believes in dreams, although it didn't come to pass in his own life. And he's still encouraging people in the midst of their dreams, even though he has some dreams that have not come to fruition himself. I think all too often... You know, because we go through disappointments or maybe our dreams have not been realized or whatever else it is. Or there's this huge time frame in between God births something in your heart. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was just something he spoke very clearly to your heart. And then years go by. At the moment, you knew for sure it was the Lord. But then years go by and it doesn't happen. Don't we become kind of apathetic towards dreams? Don't we become kind of apathetic towards anybody else's aspirations for anything when they start talking about, well, this is what God's going to use in my life. And you're like, okay, whatever. That's what I thought too. I was certain God was going to use me. I was certain God was going to do these things, but this is how it turned out for me. Oh yeah, whatever. Tell me your dreams. Let's see how it works out for you. He wasn't like that at all. He's like, tell me your dreams. God has something in this. God will give the answer and he'll make it come to pass. That's amazing considering what he has gone through in his own life. He wasn't past it either. He was still in the midst of his troubles. And he still had that confidence that God would use those dreams that those men went through. That's what I, that's what I see as resilient faith. And resilient faith is really rare Yet it's required by us as believers. God requires us to have resilient faith. Not based on what you feel. Not based on your current circumstance. Not based on if it's a better season or bitter season. He requires you to be resilient in the midst of whatever your circumstance is. And the highs, because we can walk away and we can start chasing after the world and completely forget about God when we think things are going better, right? I've got a better season. We're making good money. Everything's going good. I got the promotion at work. We got the new house, the new car. It's a better season. You don't even think about God, right? Sometimes you're just like, because it's, you know, I don't, why do I need him? You know, everything's going so good. And then something, it turns to bitter season. We're like, God, why? You know, we're like that Geico commercial. Why a flat tire? You know, it's like, why God? All of a sudden now. He wants us to be resilient in all of them, trusting Him in the midst of all of them, in all the swings. That's hard to learn because you can't just like say, I'm going to be that kind of guy or gal. I'm going to be resilient in my faith. You can't learn that. It's something that happens over time with Christian maturity. And oftentimes it comes through a lot of trials and difficulties that maybe you fail on or you have, you know, that you're struggling with. But... God gets you to that place where you level out, where you're not the highs and lows aren't moving your faith. You're learning to trust God through all of it, just like Joseph. I think that every one of those circumstances was leveling him out to where he became resilient. The the things that happen in life, no matter how bad it happened, it leveled him out. Have you ever talked to somebody who is a believer? That had gone through something horrific in life. You know, you, you hear their story, and maybe they lost a spouse or a loved one, or, you know, who knows? Maybe they might have gone through something just terrible in their life, right? And you sit there and you listen to them, and you're like, man, they're so steadfast, they're so immovable, they're so leveled out. You know, and all the while, you're like, high, low, high, low. And you're like, I'm just struggling with everything, you know. And, oh, everything's great. You know, praise Jesus next moment. I hate God. You know, it's like all this stuff going on all this time. And you're looking at this older, more mature saint in the Lord. And you're like, how did they get there? You know how they got there? High, low, high, low, high, low. And eventually, they got to the point where they said, Lord, even if you take my life, I will follow you. I'm going to trust you no matter what even if you don't fix this situation, even if you don't fix, you know, whatever it is, if you don't heal me, if you don't keep my job, all the different things that we're like, you know, we pray about, Lord, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? There comes a point in our life where we say, Lord, even if you don't, even if you don't, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to trust you. Only God can cause that kind of steadfastness in our hearts. Only God can cause a kind of resilience because we don't have it in us to be those kind of men and women. We don't. None of us are naturally that way. But God knows what's best for us. And that's why he allows those things in our lives to get us to that place where we will be like Joseph here. I thought of an example in scripture, another example of somebody who had resilient faith, and I I just thought of this, maybe it's not the best example, but it was somebody that immediately came to mind as I thought of who has resilient faith. It's probably not anybody you're thinking of. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. How many years did Simeon wait to see the Messiah? How many years? We know that there was false messiahs that had come before that. We know that there was all kinds of problems that had taken place. And as he's holding this child born of a virgin... And he recognizes that this is the Messiah. He says, finally, I can depart in peace. That's resilient faith. That's holding on and remaining faithful and always looking and always watching and not giving up, not losing hope. Not just saying, well, God has forgotten about me or God doesn't love me or maybe I misunderstood his calling. The resiliency is no matter what time passes, holding on to what God first spoke to your heart. What did God tell you at the beginning? What did God speak to you specifically at the beginning? Sometimes we have to go back to that first point. I call it setting up stones, right? You know, in Israel, whenever they would have some dramatic thing happen, they would set up stones of remembrance, typically 12 stones stacked up, and they would call them stones of remembrance. And the reason for it is as people walked by, they would say, Dad, why are those stones there? And they would stop to tell the story of something that God had done. And sometimes we have to default back to those stones of remembrance in our life. Maybe you wrote something in your Bible. Maybe you wrote something in your journal. Maybe it was a moment that something occurred that God spoke something specifically to your heart, and you knew it was the Lord. This was not your emotions. This was not somebody manipulating you. This was the Lord, and you knew it was the Lord, and everything has fallen apart since. All the plans have gone awry. All the, all the things that you thought was going to happen and the route that God would take to do it, you, everything has fallen apart. You have to stop and say, what did he speak to my heart at the beginning? What did he speak clearly when my mind was not so muddled, when everything was not so foggy, when everything was not going wrong? What did God speak clearly at that moment? And you hold on to that. This is what I know. I can't explain what all has happened since. But this is what I know at the beginning. This is what I know that God said. And this is what I'm going to hold on to, even though I don't see it today. Even though I don't even know how it's going to happen. I don't even know. It seems impossible at this moment for you ever to bring about this promise, God, that you gave me. I don't even know. Joseph, I'm in a prison, locked up, serving other people. How will, how will you ever have my brothers and my family bow down to me? How is that ever going to happen, God? How will I ever be a ruler over them? Because all those dreams seem smashed. They're so far away. But he still trusted God. And he still believed in dreams, even though his own dreams had not yet come to pass. Man, what resiliency. How sweet it is when somebody patiently waits upon the Lord and receives those promises. Joseph was that kind of man. And look how the Lord worked through that kind of faith. In verse 9 it says, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, In my dream there was a vine in front of me. On the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hands. This is the interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. No hesitation. He says, you know, these are the details. Joseph's like, this is what it means. And he was noticed very specific. It wasn't like, thus saith the Lord. God's going to do something great for you. That's what it means. Go now in boldness. No, he's like, no, in three days? The Lord's going to raise you right back to that position you once had, and you will be a cupbearer for the king in three days. That's pretty specific. That doesn't leave any room for error. God's pretty specific about things if you haven't noticed, right? Jesus like, hey, tear down this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up again. That's very specific. In three days, I'm coming back from the dead. When God is speaking, he is very specific. Don't fall for the charlatans who go out there professing to speak on God's behalf in very general terms. When God is doing something, it is very specific, where everything's on the line. And you will know if it's not true because it doesn't happen the way God said. Joseph's like, this is exactly what's going to happen. What was it that Joseph asked for in return? In verse 14, it says, but when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing that they should put me in this dungeon. He basically says he doesn't want money. He doesn't want power. He's like, just remember me and mention me to Pharaoh, please. I'm innocent. I didn't do any of the things that I've been accused of. Just when you get out in three days, would you please tell him about me? Thinking perhaps the Lord will work through that. But look at verse 16. Upon hearing that wonderful interpretation, all of a sudden the chief baker's like, Hey, what about me? What about my interpretation? What good stuff is God going to do for me? Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head, and the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is the interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. He's like, yeah, yeah, three days? What's going to happen? In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Yeah, yeah, what's he going to do? From off you. (laughs) In three days, he's going to lift up your head too. Clean off and hang you on a tree, then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. Thank you, have a nice day. (laughs) Not exactly what this guy wanted to hear. Not exactly what Joseph wanted to say. It's hard sometimes to be honest with people. You see them doing certain things that they're destroying their life and destroying the lives of others. It's hard to be honest with people. It's hard to tell them this is what's going to happen to you. I pray to God that you change course, but if you don't, you're going to destroy yourself. It'll go down. The hammer's going to drop. It's great when you can encourage somebody in the Lord and inspire hope it's really hard to look somebody in the face and say, unless you repent and change, you're headed for destruction. It's hard to tell people that. The important thing is, you need to make sure that whatever you're saying is from the Lord. No matter if it sounds good or bad to the hearer, it needs to be accurate. Not just what you think. He says, this is what the Lord says. This is what's going to happen. What do you think happened on verse 20? It says, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all of his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as a cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Do you see God's sovereignty in all this? He gives the guys dreams. They wrestle with it overnight. The next day, Joseph, who was assigned to serve these two men, came in and said, what's wrong with you? And he says, doesn't God, isn't he the interpreter of dreams? Tell me your dreams. I'll tell you what they mean. He tells them, this is what's going to happen to each one of you in three days. This is what's going to happen. Isn't it interesting that three days later it was Pharaoh's birthday? And on his birthday, what would he want? A baker and a cupbearer. God was moving through ordinary circumstances and yet doing supernatural things. See, the Pharaoh was like, hey, where's, my, where's that cupbearer, and where's that baker guy at? I got a birthday party coming up. I want a big celebration. That's all he's thinking. God's working on the other side, giving these men dreams and telling them what's going to happen in three days, but he didn't mention, oh, it's going to be because Pharaoh has a birthday. There was a natural thing that was happening, and a supernatural thing that was happening, and God was working through it. How many natural things does God work through that we don't even realize are supernatural? Something that God is doing. It all, it all went down as Joseph had interpreted. And I think all of us would assume that the cupbearer would never forget what Joseph had done for him. But it ends with, he forgot. In his excitement, he didn't even bother to tell Pharaoh what had happened, like he said he would do. Sometimes that happens in life. People remember us when they need help, Right? And then when we don't need help or when they don't need help, they completely forget about us. Don't sit, don't sit there too self-righteous, though, because you've done the same thing. We all have. When we help, we remember people. When our problems are gone, we forget them. That's what they did to Joseph. As we will see next week, though, God was orchestrating even those details. That detail of being forgotten was part of God's sovereign design. Did Joseph know that? No. Did God give him any kind of update? Did he say, okay, hey, just so you know, he will remember you, but it's going to happen two years later at a really, really, really important time in your life. He will need to remember you at that moment. He didn't tell him that. All he said... Uh, that's what he didn't say. He didn't say anything. Silence. He didn't tell Joseph the plan. Joseph is just sitting there. He's like, I clearly did what you wanted me to do, God. I told him to just mention me to Pharaoh. I thought for sure he would. And then I would be out of this place and I would be delivered and I'd be back up to one of those better seasons and not in the bitter season. But he forgot me. Why, God? To which there is no answer. There's nothing that indicates he ever knew why. There was two years of silence. I found in this life as a believer that there are plenty of periods where it seems like God isn't listening and... and. God is not responding to your requests or your prayers or whatever else it is. You, you can be the most godly guy or gal you could possibly be. You could be going through the most horrific crisis you can possibly imagine. And sometimes you feel like, God, you're not listening. Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you giving me direction? Why aren't you doing anything? In that book, I should have written down this quote here too, because it was a wonderful quote. I read it just this morning. He says, I have found in life, and I'm going to mess it up because I don't know a verbatim, but it was, this is the gist of it. He says, "I, Chuck Smith speaking, I have found in life that God does not give you a map for life. He gives you instructions. <laughs> he gives you, shh, I'm just joking. He gives, <laughs> he gives you instructions along the way. Isn't that true? We have a map. I, I will say that we have a map. But in specific journeys, specific things he calls us to, he doesn't give us a map. He doesn't say, okay, this is how it's all going to go down. You're going to go to this job. It's going to be difficult. You're going to go through a tough time. And then eventually, you'll be the king. You know, he doesn't say that. He's like, you're going to go to this job. Okay, Lord, what do I do? I'm going through a really hard time. You're going to go to this job. Okay, what happens next? You're going to be at that job. (laughs) You know, and then there's just silence. God doesn't give you the map for how everything's going to work out. He gives you instruction along the way. You know know what you have to have? The necessary component? You need to have communication with God. Because the instruction is daily. It's supposed to be a daily instruction, minute by minute at sometimes, You have to have good communication with the Lord. Because he didn't give you a map of how you're going to navigate through this thing in life. He says, just look to me for instruction and i'll give you the next next step and i'll tell you what to do that's the relationship aspect of the lord he wants a constant relationship not just you getting all the answers and then going on with your life it's you coming back and say okay lord what's next and he says okay do this and sometimes there's silence and then you just have to remain steady on the course remain steady be resilient How are you doing with that? Have you given up, given up on the dreams or promises that God once spoke so clearly to your heart? Are there dreams or promises that you know God spoke to your heart at one time in the past, and you're giving up hope? Are you becoming resilient in your faith? Do disappointments take you out too easily? Do obstacles drop you down to your knees and just where you want to give up, you can't do it? We have to be resilient in our faith. Resilient. We can't give up so easily. We've got to trust the Lord, no matter even if it doesn't make sense at the moment, even if it looks impossible in the current circumstances. God is looking to give you instructions for the journey right now. Look to Him right now. Lord, how do I navigate through this? I believe you've you've ordained this. I believe you've ordained this current situation even though this bitter season I believe you've ordained for my good how do you want me to navigate through it Lord? What's the next step? What do I do? We need to look at Joseph as an example of how to handle confusing times. How do we handle those as believers? And how do we navigate through them? And how do we have resilient faith? How do we maintain that? This is one more example in Scripture of how to, how to do that and how to trust Him. And thank God he, he saved this little section of Scripture, huh? So we'd have an example to help us, just as all of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for just the... The example that you preserved in your word through joseph and and we see those extreme highs and lows and we see all those things that he went through and we see the disappointments we can relate to that all of us i believe that are sitting here today can relate to the times where we felt so disappointed with how our lives have turned out or maybe the condition we find ourselves in in this moment and it's so easy to want to quit and throw in the towel it's so easy just to say well I must have missed it. Maybe I messed up God's plan for my life or maybe I made too many bad decisions that there's just no way to fix this. Lord, I believe that you work in those things and I believe that even in brokenness that we become better. Help us, Lord, just to turn to you once again. Help us to get our resiliency from you, not from our own effort, not from our own sheer determination, but learning to trust you to be our strength every day because, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard, Lord. We can't muster up the courage or the strength ourselves, and we need your help. Please help us, Lord. Father, as we take communion, help us, to, help us to take time, Lord, to do some self-reflection. Examine our hearts and help us to draw closer to you no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.